Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Well, we've been doing a series, haven't we, on uh, what does it mean to be a new believer? We were talking about things like our baptism, our communion that we celebrated, our, our community of believers, and we talked about our exchange life, that it's not a journey of self-improvement, but actually learning how to rely upon the presence of Jesus living through us, how to be yielded to the Lord. And uh, so there were a lot of things that we've looked at, actually, and I'm going to be wrapping it up um, just with talking about the, um, our Holy Spirit power that has been given to us by God. This is very important to me. When I, I gave my life to Christ at six years old, but when I was 13 years old, the Holy Spirit fell upon our youth group, and we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Power of God came upon us. We were zealous then for the um, for evangelism, we from then on we were out on the streets, our high school, um, and we were just really encouraged by the Lord. Just saying, Jesus saying, "You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." And so, um, and then I also want to talk in light of all of that about the power of praying in tongues. Now I pray in tongues, and I, I know that that can be controversial in some circles, but I am fully convinced and unapologetically declare that I believe it's in the Word of God. There's biblical foundation and word for it. I know that it, it takes some people into an uncomfortable direction, but the, the reason it does is I think that in a lot of ways it just makes it all very um, real as far as the indwelling spirit operating in us and through us. And it has been over the last two years and all the challenges that we face as a church, and me personally, I really want to attribute the fact that the ability to pray in tongues where your mind might remain fruitless, but your spirit is edified and built up. I believe that it's a real powerful source of strength for me and access to the release of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've been announcing that I'm going to speak on that, and that's how we're going to wrap it all up. But today we're going to look at our worship. So let's turn in our Bibles today to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, I want to talk about this area of worship. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. Let me just pause for a moment there. Worship is the ability to wait patiently before the Lord. In a jacked up, hyped up, oh, I might miss the next headline culture. I might not know what my friends had for breakfast on Facebook. We realize that that impatience has increased inside a a generation and that the Lord would call us to learn how to wait upon the Lord, how to quiet ourselves before the Lord. I asked Jerry to sing that last song, Give Us Clean Hands and give us pure hearts. Let us be numbered among the generation of Psalm chapter 25 who are those who are going to walk with clean hands and pure hearts, who enter into God's holy hill, who learn how to step into the presence of the Lord. And that's what God is calling us to. But what do we wait patiently on the Lord? Why do we do it? Because he reached down to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud. He set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. Why do we wait upon the Lord? Because he's the desire of our heart. Isn't Jesus the desire of our heart? And because why? Because he took us off the path of destruction. And he took us out of a mud pit. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. You find yourself singing the song that we songs that we sing on Sunday morning. And why is that? Because the Lord has put a new song in our heart because of all the good things that God has done for us. And we give the glory of God for it. I want us to understand today that worship is completely connected to the Lamb of God. Worship is completely connected to our redemption and being saved. I also want us to understand this, is that worship and waiting upon the Lord is completely linked to our coming into our destiny in God. To come into salvation, you might be able to find an eternal existence before the Lord, 
but I'm telling you to know the fullness of your destiny, of being a child of God and demonstrating that. It's linked to your worship life. So that's what I want us to look at today. I'm going to start out today's sermon with a sad note, but I think it's relevant. It's a story about the novelist David Foster Wallace. And he spoke this at Kenyon College in 2005 to the graduating class. And the tragedy of it is, is that he spoke this right before he took his life. And here is what he said. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They're default settings. As I look at that right there, we realize we're getting the glimpse of a man who was troubled enough to end his own life, which is really a tragedy. Yet at the very same time, he says, we all are worshiping. And we don't have a choice. And we're all worshiping something. The only thing that not having the choice of whether we're worshiping or not does help us to understand, though, that we can choose what we worship. And he quoted about the advantage of connecting with a small g God or spirituality-centered kind of approach. Because he said, worshiping all of the things is going to end up defrauding us. And that's really a tragic thought. And just to think about the fact of the wonderful privilege of us being able to come together and to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and God himself and Jesus, where it doesn't consume you, it doesn't eat you alive, as he said, but actually it connects you to the very source of life. Worship is connecting with God, the ability to connect with God. It's why Jesus came, is to connect people with God. He didn't condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to reveal the Father. This wonderful thing called worship is why we were saved. Not just the ticket out of hell. It was communion. It was invitation. It was intimacy. I can't help but remember the story of a woman, and her name was Ruth, and she had lost everything. She had lost her husband, and she had lost her inheritance, which was rightfully hers in the nation of Israel. But then the scriptures gave an opportunity that if she were to be um, redeemed by a kinsman redeemer, a relative who would restore her back to family relationship, that being restored back to family relationship, her husband had died, but she could be restored back, and that she could gain her inheritance. And what did she do? Ruth actually went into the secret place of one of her relatives. His name was Boaz, and he was her kinsman, and he was going to redeem what she had lost. He was her kinsman redeemer, just like Jesus. For us, we were lost to the inheritance that God had given to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Inherit the earth, the, the command of God at the beginning. But we had lost our inheritance. But Jesus came so that we could enter into a worship agreement with him. A coming together with him into an intimacy. So that what did Ruth do? When the lights got low, she slipped into his tent and she laid herself at his feet to see if he would re receive her. 
that laying at his feet, that coming into the presence of Jesus and learning to wait patiently. Can you imagine how intimidating it was for her to wonder whether she would be rejected or not? There are many people who've never come to God because they aren't certain whether they'd be rejected or not. But she took a huge risk. She put all her eggs in one basket. She decided, I'm going to lay at the feet of this man. And it was a place of intimacy. And he took her as his wife. This is what Christ came and saved us for. Saved us for intimacy. He saved us to come into his presence. He came to us to wait upon the Lord, to know him, to live. Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Don't. Don't idolize the things of this world. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? What are we going to um, put as, as the roof over our heads? And Jesus said, that's what the world cares about. But he said, you seek first the kingdom of God. You invest the intimacy of your heart to God. You invest in God. If we look at the words for, that are used in the original writings of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the front part of your Bible is written in Hebrew. It, was written, it came out of the nation of Israel. Your New Testament was written in Greek. Why? Because the new covenant was a covenant with the world that God had given, not just a covenant with the Jewish people. If we, if we look at the Hebrew word in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the word for that we find out is shacha, shacha. And it means very literally this, to bow your knee. To bow your knee, to humble yourself. If we look at the Greek word, it's proskeneo, you hear the word pros in there. It's like where we find out the angels would lay themselves prostrate before the Lord. And what that word proskeneo actually literally means, according to Strong's concordance, it means this. To bow your knees on the ground, but the position also includes putting your forehead on the ground. And that it was, a, it was an act of complete submission to God. Knees on the floor, forehead on the ground. It was a way of paying homage and saying that you were worthy of my obeisance, that I would humble myself before you, Lord. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, we find out the first word, the first time that the Hebrew word is used, shecha. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, we find the story of Abraham. And listen to this as I read it. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. You see what God said to Abraham? Abraham had been waiting his whole life for this promised son. It was a God thing. Isaac was a God thing. And yet even sometimes God can be jealous of our relationships inside a church. He wants to be first. And God says, bring your son Isaac. I want you to get him. Isaac, who you love. In other words, Abraham, where's your worship? Where does your worship lie? It's a good reminder for every pastor who steps out in the destiny and calling and purpose that God has upon their lives. But before you know it, they can love the ministry more than they love God. See, the problem right here, we find out that Abraham, even though Isaac came from God, could have placed Isaac as an idol. So what did God do? So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burning offering and set out and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So here we find out as we read this passage here, it's a beautiful picture of God the Father. Again, it's about family. It's about intimacy. And here we find out that Abraham is putting the wood of the sacrifice of his son upon his son's back. The picture of the love of God for all mankind, that Jesus Christ carried the wood, the cross upon his back. They're going to the mountain that God has chosen. It's a beautiful picture of Mount Calvary. And as we're seeing that this, these unfolding events are happening, we're beginning to understand something here, is that worship is the complete giving ourselves to God, not merely what comes out of our lips on Sunday morning for the first half hour, but it's actually our whole lives that are being laid, placed upon the altar of God. It's giving him our all. Yes. 
So they, Abraham, can you imagine? He's getting close to the mountain where he's going to sacrifice his son. At any moment, we realize that he could have shifted his worship from God to his son. But then as the novelist told us, that can actually eat you alive. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and look at this. And we will shacha. And we will return to you. So the group of young men that were traveling with Abraham and Isaac, he says, you stop right here because my son and I, we're going to bow the knee. My son and I are about to worship. Now, if you read the story, neither Abraham nor the son Isaac physically bowed the knee. But I'm going to tell you what they did. They bowed the knees of their heart. They yielded themselves to God. I want us to understand this, is that worship is actually a lifestyle of obedience to God, of just saying, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. And so then he says, we're going to go in Shekhar. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. See, the law of first mention, according to the scriptures, what is that? The law of first mention is that whenever in the scripture something is mentioned for the first time, it establishes a foundation that throughout the rest of the scriptures it should be compared to the first mention. And we understand this right here, is that when the scriptures mentions for the first time, shacha, worship, the bowing of the knee, is completely related to this, the understanding that God will provide the lamb. That's what it's all about. What is the heart of our worship? The heart of our worship is that God has provided the lamb. What is our qualification to worship? That we have aligned ourselves with the lamb. I asked Jerry to sing that song at the end, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not give our soul to another. Do you see what happened? Abraham could have given his soul to Isaac. And most people would have said, that's okay. But Abraham understood something, that before the Lord... Our soul belongs only to God. Our inner man belongs only to God. Let me not give my soul to another, but give me clean hands and give me pure heart. We find out that Abraham was not a perfect man. Where can, a perf- where can an imperfect man find clean hands and a pure heart? Only Jesus can give that. When we came to worship the Lord today, if you lifted up your hands in the sanctuary, we said, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts, and we devil comes in and says, your hands aren't so clean. But then we remind ourselves, we're coming. We're receiving the cup of the covenant. We're receiving the bread. Jesus is the one that gives us clean hands. Jesus is the one who gives us a pure heart. The truth of the matter is, is that I, I mean, I'm not making, I, it is a time to reflect. It is a time to come into worship. And if your conscience says to you, you displease the Lord this week, then it is time to come before the Lord. That's part of the worship process. Don't let, don't let your last week determine whether you worship the Lord or not. If something comes to your mind that says, you know what, you're not ready to worship the Lord, then part of your worship is to just say, Lord Jesus, give me clean hands and give me a pure heart. Don't let the whole worship service go by without worshiping the Lord. See, worship is alignment with the idea and the understanding that God will provide the Lamb. The worship in the Lamb. If you, are, if you came to Jesus Christ, we're speaking this to new believers, but to all of us, you have to understand what qualifies you to worship is that you have received the Lamb of God. That's what qualifies you. And so we ask ourselves sometimes, why would God want my sacrifice of praise? It's because you've aligned yourself with the Lamb. And it's so important. That's the law of first mention. We also find later on in, in the book of Genesis that Abraham, again, shechad before the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. 
When he raised his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he shachad to the ground. When God appeared to Abraham, he shachad. He worshiped. Worship is the only appropriate response to God. Do you know when we come together on the first day of the week, it's because we are acknowledging the promise of our Lamb of God, Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, where two or three of you gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst of you. When you came to worship today, did you shachah? I mean, did we come and just go through the routine or did we bow the knee before Jesus? I'm not talking merely about the physical need. Knee, there, and, and most of us reserve that for our private time of worship before the Lord. But I'm going to ask us, did we bow the knees of our heart? Or another question, did we bow the knees of our stiff necks before the Lord? Did we bow the knee of pride and dignity that would just say, let me not be too expressive before my, my God, that is to worship something other than God. When you worship God, you don't think about such things. Oh, you might have to break through them. But have we determined that we're going to shachah? Find out in the scriptures that David was a great worshiper. In Psalm 95, he said, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. I love that right there. I think sometimes when it gets too real, people get too uncomfortable. But we reserve for football games and soccer matches and concerts things that belong to God. People shout. They take their shirts off. Don't anybody do that in here. They paint their fraternity letters on their chest. They paint their faces. You know why? Because they've been anticipating. They come in anticipation. How long did it take to paint half your face blue and then half of it yellow? If only the saints would so prepare for worship. I would actually like the idea, if y'all came in with half your face painted, if it meant that you were in advance hoping to be able to praise the Lord with all your heart. If we look at this, he says, come, let's sing. Let us sing. Worship is, yeah, it's personal, but it's also corporate. There's a let us of worship that is so important. To be truly, Pam mentioned it in the communion, to be really connected with God is to be connected as well with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, throughout throughout his teachings, as well as we find out in John in his letter, the first letter, he says, if you say that you love God but you hate your brother, the truth is not in you. You're a liar. The only way to truth, that's why when we break up in the middle. I've had people tell me in the past, while we go from worship and it feels like everything just goes to chaos when everybody's greeting each other, slapping each other on the back, and you're like, no, 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 no. That's worship right there. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ is worship. Fellowship is a sacrament, I believe, on the level of baptism and communion. Fellowship. Let's come before his presence with a song of thanksgiving. The Lord just tells us when you come into the church, just remind yourself, come to him with thanksgiving. If you want to learn how to worship the Lord, just be patient before the Lord. Sit at his feet metaphorically and then just start thanking him for everything that he's done for you. Come into his presence with songs of thanksgiving. Didn't the New Testament teach us to give thanks always? Shout joyfully to him in songs. Shout joyfully to him in songs with instruments. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In other words, give to him a worship that he is worthy of. Don't give him a worship that is outmatched by lesser gods. 
In his hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his. For it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us shecha. Come, let's shecha together. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. See, it's just talking about identity. Why do we come together to worship? Because we are the sheep of his pasture. I talked about the tribal painting of fraternities on their chest, but what fraternity, what sorority do we belong to? Why do we lift up our voice? We belong as the sheep of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. If I were to look at the law first mentioned then in the New Testament, because some people would say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Right at the very beginning of the story, here's a little boy, a toddler. And we call them the three kings. We don't know how many there were. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But these were men who had heard the teachings of Daniel when he was in Persia, when he was in Babylon. And he actually, many people don't know it, but he told the year that the Messiah was coming. So when a star appeared in the sky in the direction of Israel, they knew that it that, that aligned itself perfectly with the year that Daniel had said the Messiah was coming. They were noble men, they were wealthy men, and it comes down to what did they worship, though? What did they value? So they followed a star, they went on a journey, and they said, we have come to worship him. Why? Because he is Jesus, the Lamb. The Lamb came. Worship tied to the Lamb. From the beginning of the story of the revelation of having the name of the one called Jesus up until the book of Revelation where Jesus is in heaven. It's all about the worship of the Lamb. The Lamb was the only one that is worthy in heaven to unwrap the scroll. The story of God's redemptive plan for the earth. And we find out that men took their gifts, the treasures of their lives, it's like, I'm sorry, but it is like them bringing their tithes, their offerings, their wealth. They laid it at the feet of a little boy. Why? Because the law first mentioned from the very beginning helped us to understand we were saved. Christ came to produce worshipers. Our worship should define us more than anything else. Jesus described worship in the New Testament. There was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She was half Jewish in her theology and half messed up. <laughs> Jesus saw her at the well and he says, can you give me some water to drink? And he said, if you, know, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask for him to give you the water that once you drink it, you will never thirst again. And she says, give me that water. I wouldn't have to come to this well anymore. It's far away. Well, Jesus was ministering to her. He spoke to her the promise of God for her personal destiny because he told her, go tell your husband that I'm here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus revealed this prophetic ability. And he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have five husbands. And the man that you have right now, the sixth, he's not your husband. And she understood, this might be a God moment. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had their own mountain to worship God, and the Jews were in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Why is salvation from the Jews? Because the Jews were one who carried the vision, the promise, and actually the visual in the temple of a lamb being sacrificed for the sin of the world. Salvation was going to come to the Jews. 
And Jesus says this, but a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we look at this passage right here. First off, we want to understand that Jesus just taught us God is seeking worshipers. He's seeking in the world. He's seeking worshipers. Do we understand the delight that it brought to the Father's heart? I believe like, you know, there, there's a house across the valley. And once in a while, they put a candle in the window. And it's amazing to me that across the valley, I can look at it and I can see a little tiny flame in the dark of the night. And I know that there's life there. I know that someone lit a candle there. And the truth is this, is that's how I picture that when we come together to worship God, man, in a dark world, God sees that candle. We might think that it's small, but God knows that it indicates life. God knows that someone lit that candle. I want you to know that today we brought delight to the heart of the Lord, equivalent to the abandonment of our expression of worship to him. Is the intensity of the light. And as we look at this passage right here that Jesus says, God is seeking people who will worship him in spirit. That word spirit there is in the Greek. I'm sorry to bore you with other languages, but it's pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma. It actually means wind. He says God is wind. God is pneuma. That word also means breath. We can see how that works together. God is, God is wind. God is breath. The breath, where does the breath come from? The breath comes from the inner part of a man. Comes from the innermost being. Comes from inside. That's where worship is. Worship comes from inside. I think a lot of us have become dependent upon what happens on Sunday morning and hope that worship will invade. But worship doesn't invade. Worship comes from within and it comes out. We've got to get the direction right. That's why... In the New Testament church, they could worship together from house to house and sing songs, but they could also worship in a cold, dank, dark, starvation-filled prison. You know why? They weren't dependent upon the surroundings to cause their heart to be inspired to worship, but worship was within their heart. It was in their spirit. It was within their breath. It was in their true self, the pneuma of a man, the deepest part of a man. You were saved today so that the deepest part of you has now heard the tuning fork of God's praise and you enter into worship with that sound. What's amazing is we get to come together and you see how music has been corrupted so that we could all be on the same word, on the same pitch, hopefully, <laughs> resonating together with the tuning fork of heaven to give praises to God, to reverberate back to him. And I'm going to tell you something. If we understood the power of lighting the candle in the window and the delight it brings to the heart of God, that you can actually bless the Lord. You know, we got so many sermons about how to get blessed by God. It's too bad we don't have as many sermons about how to bless the Lord. We can bless the Lord through our worship. God will delight in your worship, and he will come and inhabit the praises of his people. So like when Abraham saw the Lord stand before him, God's looking for a group of people who understands that Jesus said, if two or three of you gather together in my name, I'll be there in your midst. And when Abraham saw the Lord appear before him, true people that, I don't mean that, people who truly believe who they are in the gathering, that when Jesus comes, it's like the Lord coming to Abraham's tent. And what do you do? When, when Jesus shows up, you shecha. That's what you do. You shecha. And so today, the Lord would invite us to do that, to come to him in spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. So God, see, all this has to do as well with just being lined up with the Lamb of God. Who made you spiritually alive? It's Jesus Christ. John taught that to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. That the, the Holy Spirit is like the wind when it blows. It's like pneuma. It's wind. You hear the sound of it. You do not know where it is coming from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. If you want to come into your destiny, purpose, calling, and the plan has for you, your spirit has to be made alive. God's got to give you the breath of heaven, his very own breath. When he made Adam out of the mud, 
Remember, we were saved from the mud. When God made Adam out of the mud, he, he, he knew mud. He breathed into his spirit and he became alive. When you meet Christ, your sins are forgiven, your sins are washed away, and the breath of God comes inside of you, and it revives your pneuma, your breath. And how is that breath to be used? It's to be generated, to come into intimacy with God, to know him, to lay at his feet, to be patient, to wait upon the Lord. It's a very spiritual thing. He says, those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. So who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. We keep going round and round in circles in order to worship Jesus. Just in order to, sorry, to worship come into your understanding of the Lamb of God and all that he did so that we might be reconciled with God. But that word truth also means come to him truthfully. In other words, with sincerity. Not just religious. He, Jesus is talking about religious approaches to God. And Jesus says, it's time I'm looking for worshipers who come to me authentically. It's beautiful. So... This invitation to worship is an invitation that goes out to the whole earth. It's not a surprise to me. I believe that we're coming upon the last days that Satan in the last few years has tried to silence the gathering of God's people together to worship. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, especially as the day approaches. He wants to silence the church in these days, and more than ever, we should determine in our hearts, we will gather no matter what. We are going to worship the Lord. We are going to come together. We are going to participate in this worship because in Psalms 100, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. For the first time in the history of the world, the enemy of the church was able to organize well enough that he could get almost every church to receive the news that if you open up, you open up illegally. But the Lord says, make a joyful noise, all you lands. Amen. Serve the Lord with gladness. I love the fact that the Lord brings making a joyful noise, coming to his presence with singing, but he also says it's about service. It's all about the whole body, yes. our own physical body being given over to the Lord, not just our words that come out of our mouths, but actually our whole body worshiping the Lord in service. When we come together, the Bible tells us that we're to sing to one another, but then we're to serve one another. When we serve each other, we are worshiping God. It says this, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Do you see how the Lord is just saying? I'm just going to give you, this is really simple. Here's the user manual for worship. When you quiet yourself before the Lord, he says, just come into his gates with thanksgiving. Just imagine yourself opening the gates of heaven. Because when you are thankful to God, the gates are thrown wide open to you. So just begin with thanking. Just start thanking God. That's why the scriptures actually says, you know, to give thanks in everything, in all things, right? Do it in all things. Why? Learn how to live a worship lifestyle. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Just get alone with God. Quiet your heart before him. It's hard at the beginning. It gets easier as you go. Just set yourself aside. Begin to thank the Lord and then enter into just praising him. Just tell him who he is. Just tell him how great he is. You don't have to get your theology manual out to know how to do that. Just tell him all he means to you. Just read the Gospels and just reflect on who Jesus is. We learn how to do this privately and then we do it corporately because the Apostle Paul taught us in the book of Ephesians, he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. We'll be talking about that next week. Speaking to one, other, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the to the Lord, we speak to each other through these songs. And then he says, subject yourselves or serve one another in the fear of Christ. So when we think about worship and what it is, we understand that it's an indication to sing to the Lord. Making a joyful noise. You don't have to sing well. 
Just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what he says. Anybody can do that. Then he says, lifting up your hands. In Psalms 141, verse 1, Lord, I call upon you. Hurry to me. Listen to my voice when I call to you. May my, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, the raising of my hands as the evening offering. When we think about that, the Apostle Paul said that he wishes that men everywhere would lift up holy hands before the Lord. It's an act of surrender before God. You say, well, you don't have to position yourself a particular way to pray. Well, you're absolutely right. But I'm telling you, the way we restrict our body often is what inhibits our spirit from fully expressing itself. It is the house of the Lord. It says that our, the spreading of our hands is like the evening offering. If you think about the fact that when you look at the, the carvings on the wall, the markings on the wall in the catacombs of Rome, that when they lifted up their hands, you see time and time again that the way they worshiped was in the sign of the cross. When they lifted up their hands, it was like this. You find it as well that, that in, in early church drawings and shadows that are represented in mosaics and things like that, when the early church worshiped, they did the pattern of the cross. Why? Because when Christ died upon the cross, worship is related to the Lamb. And when the lamb completely yielded himself to God, he was nailed into the position of the evening sacrifice. He was preparing himself. Let my lifted hands be like the evening sacrifice. And that's how we understand that when we worship the Lord, the lifting up the hands, you know, put up your hands. It's surrender. I'm defenseless. You can take me now. That's what Jesus did, and he did it before God the Father. And, and worship is just saying, I'm completely yielded. So whether you lift your hands like this, that's awesome. That's fine. When you lift your hands like this, it's wonderful. When you go like this. There's, we, we see pictures of that. If you're bashful and you do this, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the thing is this, is that the Lord is just saying to us, position yourself and surrender. There is something that breaks when you lift your hands in worship. Clapping hands, Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of joy, for the Lord Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Clap your hands. Some people, I remember, I was raised in a very traditional form of church, and a family member came. They were so offended that, well, first off, they were offended that people lifted their hands. I think, again, I think the issue sometimes is it's just getting a little bit too real. But then they were really offended at the end of the songs when people clapped. And it's like, no, no, they're not clapping good job musicians. The Bible actually says the trees of the field will clap their hands. There's coming a day when the kingdom of God is coming to the earth and all of creation that has been hindered, waiting for the full redemption of mankind. It's going to be like those. The closest thing we got here of trees clapping their hands is quaking aspens, man, that are just shaking, shaking in the, before the Lord, right? Expressing glory to God, the fear and the reverence that belong to God. Oh, man, it's universal, clapping your hands. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Then he also says in Psalm 95, verse 6, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, an expression of worship. How about dancing? You think clapping at the end of songs is bad. Psalms 149, praise the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Israel shall be joyful in his maker. The sons of Zion shall rejoice in their king. They shall praise his name with dancing. It's such a privilege and honor for us to be able to come together in corporate worship. God invites you privately to learn how to worship. Your calling and your destiny are rooted in your worship. The voice of God in your life is rooted in your worship. In the book of Acts, we find out that when they prayed, it was considered part of their worship. When they read the scriptures, it was part of worship. When they fellowshiped with each other, it's part of worship. When they sang, it was worship. When they gave in the offerings, it was worship. When they welcomed each other, it was worshiped. When they baptized each other, celebrate communion, it was worship. So we continue in an amazing and beautiful tradition 
I think it's a tradition that has been lost in many ways, but God is going to restore it. I believe that what it's talking about in the Psalms 25 about the generation that will enter into God's holy hill with the clean hands and the pure heart, it will people who have learned how to sit in the presence of God and to hear the voice of the Lord, to get into the holy hill of God, to get into the very presence of the Lord. On the first day of the week, we gathered together. Why would we do that? Well, we find out that the church has continued to practice because Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, was on the first day of the week. That was their birthday. We get to celebrate our birthday every week. We find out that Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, right? It's beautiful. In Acts chapter 16, we find out that Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, Galatia, so you are to do as well. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections need to be made when I come. So they brought in the offerings when they gathered on the first day of the week. The apostle Paul says, on the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. And Paul began to talk to them, and he met with them until midnight. We find out in the book of Revelation that John the Apostle said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It's a very special day to them. Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new day, new, new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. What what am I saying there? Well, we can gather together and we can worship any day of the week. And the Bible says don't judge anybody about what day they choose. But the truth is this, is that the bottom line is that Sabbath, a holy day, Jesus Christ fulfilled all of that. That's why he healed on the Sabbath. That's why he let his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath because he's saying... I am the center of worship. So let's come together. Let's come together on Sundays and worship the Lord with all our hearts. Let's each one of us practice the expression of worship before God. I want to encourage myself and all of you at the very same time. Let's take it up to another level. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's quiet our hearts. And let's let us realize that we were saved to become worshipers. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you, O Lord, for the blessing of worship, to worship you. If you want to become a worshiper, I just want to encourage you, align yourself with the Lamb, the Lamb of God. You might be thinking, what if I... If I come to God and he is not very thrilled with the idea. He's seeking worshipers. I don't have clean hands and my heart surely is not pure. And the Lord would just say to you, come to the lamb. Come to the lamb. He will position you so that if you worship God, it will bring great delight to God and you will bless God. Can you imagine that? The one who redeemed you from the mud wants to make you a worshiper. Jesus Christ is here to save us from all of our sins, our past, our present, our future. He's here to remove any shame. He's here to remove a defiled conscience, guilt. He's here to remove religion. He's looking for true worshipers. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today can be your day of salvation. I received the Lord as a, as a child, a boy, and I'll never forget it. I knew that I knew that I knew that my life had been transformed. And I just want to encourage you here today. Ask yourself this question. Do I know that I know that I'm a child of God? Do I know? Because the Bible says if you ask yourself that question, the Holy Spirit will let you know whether you're a child. If you don't have an answer, you're not ready to meet the Lord. You're not right with Him. That's not a judgment. 
just speak that as encouragement to you. Get right with the Lord today. I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula, but I want to be able to lead you to Jesus this morning. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, but you want to today, I'm going to be closing in prayer. I'd like to invite you just to lift up your hand and just saying, I'm including myself in the closing prayer, giving my heart to Jesus today. Then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to come forward here in the front. You don't have to say anything or do anything, but Jesus said this. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the angels. I'll deny you before the Father. So I just want to help you get there. Just to help to get there, born into the family of God. If you say to me, Pastor Jim, I need Jesus today, would you just lift up your hand just saying, I want today to be my day of salvation. You can just lift up your hand. Just lift it up so I can see it, and then you can put it back down. Spirit of God, is he moving on your heart today? I heard Pam tell someone this week, and Pam lived as a very good and righteous person, but she didn't know Jesus. And she would write letters to the Lord her whole childhood. And she says, God would answer my prayers, but then she came of age maybe 18 and she was confronted with the gospel and she didn't want to let go it's amazing because she loved God but she didn't want to let go she said I felt like I was jumping off a cliff it's a letting go it's a letting go of the things that we worship you're already a worshiper but today I'm asking you to choose who you're gonna worship is there anybody here today you just want to give your heart to Jesus I know Feels like it's jumping off a cliff. God, you are so good. You're such an awesome God. Raise up this group as the generation that will enter into your holy hill, into a place of worship, intimacy with you, Father. I pray, oh Lord, let the Spirit of God fall upon the hearts of every believer in this room right now. And I pray, oh God, that you would quicken our hearts to worship you. Move upon our hearts, oh God. I bless every person that's here today. I bless them, Lord God. I bless their life. I bless their breath. I bless, Lord God, their health, their healing. I bless their provisions. I bless, Lord God, the things they care for, the animals in their care, Lord God, the plants, everything they put the together, everything that's living in their house, let it prosper. Their children, their grandchildren, oh God. I pray, Father, that in their going out and their coming in, that you would be with them, oh Lord. I pray that the joy of the Lord would fill their hearts. You give them peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, God. Let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. By the way, the blessing at the end is also a part of the worship the commissioning and the blessing. So God bless you all. There's going to be elders here in the front. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. Let them pray for you, no matter what it is. Again, if you haven't ever given your heart to Jesus, please come forward. Talk to one of these folks here at the front. Tell them you want to get saved and meet Jesus today. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. So glad to have you here. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.